Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. Because there's a lot of power in in being a help to your pastor, to your preacher, to your boss there's a lot of power you have to control them without controlling them if you can get to know your leadership that well to see all of their faults and if you're that spiritual to be able to look at them and know that they're wrong then you should be able to be that spiritual to help them be right the thing is we're not that spiritual the thing is it's a whole lot easier to see what's wrong with people than to see what's wrong with yourself you are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, everybody. My name is Eric Skwarzynski. I'm the host of the Preacher Boys podcast, and I want to wish you all a very happy holiday season. I am so thankful for all of you who have hung out with me for this past year of the Preacher Boys podcast, and I look forward to spending the new year with you as well. On today's episode, I wanted to share my conversation with Michael McNeely. Uh, He's one of the admins over in our Facebook group, uh, the Preacher Boys official discussion group. And uh, he's just become a very good friend. He's been on a couple episodes of the show with me. And so I wanted to share the conversation we had for our first ever Preacher Boys live episode. So I had people live commenting with their questions. We got to dive into a lot of amazing topics. Uh, But we spent a lot of time, with both of us being former staff kids, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, the role of family within the independent Baptist movement. Uh, we talk about people, you know, being put last, and we talk about uh, the dangers of ministry taking over uh, what's most important, which is our family. And so, I hope you guys really enjoy the conversation. Again, I hope uh, I know there's a lot of you that are probably making strange plans this year with COVID, and uh, it's definitely not a holiday season like we expected at the beginning of the year. Uh, but I hope you all are having very safe. Uh, gatherings and uh, if you're traveling that you're staying safe and uh, just really getting to spend some time uh, just of relaxation and I know that there's many people listening to the show who uh, you know struggle this time of year there's people um, 
around the world and across the country that for the holidays, it can be a very difficult time, especially when you're stepping back from, uh, you know, situations where, you know, maybe you're not as close with some family or maybe you're experiencing uh, some difficulty just in this time. Uh, I just want you to know that, um, you know, we're, we're here for you. Um, I, I definitely encourage you to j- hop into the, uh, the Preacher Boys Facebook group. And if, if you need anything further, if you need to talk to someone uh, or if you want to be connected with someone uh, who can help or who can, you know, help find someone for you to, to speak to, uh, you know, whether it's a therapist, you know, re- regardless of what that might be, uh, I definitely encourage you to send over an email to PreacherBoysDoc, that's PreacherBoysDoc at gmail.com. I'd be more than happy uh, to c- try to connect you with someone or at least point you in the right direction and uh, hope I can be an encouragement to you during the holiday season. But uh, yeah, that's a great spot. Uh, but just generally heading over to the Preacher Boys official discussion group on Facebook, Uh, It's a great place to connect with everyone and to get a little bit of encouragement during this holiday season. So with that said, guys, I'm going to go ahead and let us get into the episode here. Again, this was a live episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I really like some of the conversation points we had to uh, go over, and I hope you appreciate them as well. Happy holidays and enjoy this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Preacher Boys podcast. It's our first, as you can tell, first live uh, broadcast. And I've been wanting to do this for a little bit of time now and uh, just really give a chance to, you know, do one of these episodes where people can really chime in, um, ask questions. I've already got a couple questions that have come in uh, from different people as I've announced it, but uh, I wanted to get someone else on with me so it's not a complete disaster, at least by myself, so we can have two people I had to point to if it fails, but uh, I wanted to bring Michael on. Um, I, he's been on a couple episodes of the Preach Boys podcast and uh, has really just been become like a really good friend. And uh, I feel like we we tend to be on the same page on quite a bit of these topics. And um, and the one thing I do appreciate is the stuff we're not on the same page on. We have pretty good conversations about. And so I wanted to bring him on and uh, have him be part of this. So Michael, thanks for thanks for joining me. Not a problem. I'm excited. See where this goes. Awesome. So while people are still jumping on, can you just give like a condensed kind of intro for yourself and like a, you know, kind of your background, your kind of sect of the IFB that you grew up in? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up at Fairhaven Baptist Church in Chesterton, Indiana. Uh, my father was, um, I don't know if we can give an official title, but let's call him the Dean of the Bible College there. He taught nine classes a semester so I think it's safe to say that I uh, spent about 29 to 30 years uh, there uh, before some incidents occurred and some stuff started coming out about the way that the youth pastors were treating you know his kids and uh, he right. took his family I was already gone out of the house out of college at that point and uh, um, he moved back to where they're from in Michigan which was probably about I would say 12 years ago um, my transition out of the IFB started probably about that same time, about 12, 13 years ago. So gotcha. I've been out of it for a little while now. Right. Right. Yeah, no, um, I, I share some of that background. Like my dad was on staff at a church and so, um, kind of come from that same, that same space. And there's an added, I think there's just an added level of pressure and this mm-hmm. kind of, it's, it's still the same experience, but I think you see, you see everything a lot more up close and you get to see things from a 
kind of more first person perspective, as opposed to being someone who's in and out of church services and sees kind of like from the congregant point of view, being from the staff kid point of view really gives you a pretty clear look. And you get to see things that I don't think the average person gets to see. Um, and so talking to you initially, that was like a really, I don't know. I felt, I feel like I find kindred spirits when I'm like, oh, you relate to that. You relate to the late nights and the parents working way too many jobs and, you know, all that good stuff. But, uh, but yeah, no. So I, I had asked in the group, I said, we were going to be getting together and, and doing this and, um, you know, talking through some of these questions. And we, we had quite a few that have come in um, and I figure we'll just take them one by one and uh, see where the conversation takes us. I want it to be pretty informal. So um, if you're on YouTube and you're in the chat, uh, you can drop a question that you might have um, and I'll, I'll be responding to some of those. Thank you so much, Susan, for jumping on. Lee, I see you popping in here due to the Agape uh, boarding school stuff. We just dropped an episode about that today. Um, and so we'll, we'll just get started. I'll pull up some of these questions and uh, we'll take a whack at them and, and try to answer the best we can. Um, the, the first question is from Angela. Uh, she says, how, uh, can you talk about how the culture of the IFB, so how they view women and children specifically, uh, can translate to abuse in IFB homes and not just in the church, uh, also how the ministry above all else leads to damaged families? Um, I mean, definitely we can both touch on this, I think, a little bit, but um, I, I think the, the way that women and children are viewed within the IFB does and a lot, a lot of times contribute to abuse. And I think uh, the number one uh, thing that I've seen personally with you know people that I know is the approach to women being silent in the church gets taken very, very literally to the point where, um, you know, I'll just speak personally. Like I know people personally who try to speak out about things that were being handled incorrectly and things that needed to be dealt with that never were. And the reason given to her was she needed to be quiet and let people make decisions who made the decisions. And so um, I, I think when you're not, when you're not respecting the voice of women, you're not respecting the voice of the youth in your church. Um, you know, I think at that point you, you leave a huge window open for those people to be abused and, you know, marginalized. And, um, and for the, the question about the ministry above all else leading to damaged families, I think, I mean, it's kind of a given it's, it's the same as being corporate America and working nonstop and working late hours and, and avoiding your family. Um, you know, I've talked about it before my, my dad is an amazing dad and like we had a great relationship, but my dad also was, you know, was, it was expected of him to work, you know, seven 30 in the morning to seven 30 at night, some nights. And when you're a, you know, a teenager or a middle schooler and you want to spend time with your dad, but you can't because the church is taking that role from him, you know, that puts you in a pretty bad situation. And just from a Christian perspective, it, it has a potential to paint church in a pretty negative light, I think, for the kid who's involved. Um, but uh, Michael, do you have a kind of an opinion on that as far as like how? Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think the first question we had, and I'll, I'll answer that one first, uh, how women are viewed in the IFP church, I think is very important because it not only leads to the abuse or the culture of abuse, but now we're starting to see it's leading and it's, it's also the cover-ups are also right. closely tied to it. Um, you were alluding to, you know, the structure, the place, as they call mm -hmm. it, of a woman in a church to be silent, but it's also they're told to be subservient to the husband, right. and it's taken to an extreme. 
husband and wife should be equal. That is biblical New Testament, you know, um, philosophy or doctrine, however you want to call it. Um, I go more on the philosophy side because a lot of what is written in the Bible was very cultural for the time period that it was written in. And I think if we try to extrapolate and take that out and apply it in today's day and age, that's where a lot of these um, interpretations come into play. And especially on the extreme side, which the IFB is on that extreme side, um, you know, they take that view. But husband and wife are supposed to be equal. There, I make emotional decisions and I have emotions just like my wife has emotions. And sometimes she's the level-headed one and I'm not. And other times I'm the level-headed one and she's not. It's supposed to be a team. But what the IFB movement has done is it's only placed the man in the authoritarian position. And then the wife is underneath him and then the kids are underneath them. So we got a hierarchy system. Well, what does that do for a man and his viewpoint of how he looks at a woman. He looks at her downwards. She's supposed to be mine, almost like a possession, Mm -hmm. Um, especially in the extreme IFB, you know, uh, a part of of the wing of that movement. Um, So at a young age, you're hearing all of this. And this is your, you're building your view of a female and a woman, and they're supposed to be subservient to you. They're supposed to subject themselves to you. They're supposed to love, honor, and prop you up and build you up and do all these things. There's very few sermons ever preached on how a man is supposed to be doing that to the wife, and it's supposed to be equal. We grow up having a very different viewpoint that they're supposed to listen. We are the rulers. We are the authoritarians. They're supposed to do what we tell them to do. That leads into a lot of areas and you can now go into, you know, if someone has sexual deviancies, that viewpoint is then going to be carried out in that manner as well. And then the teaching is always what in the IFB movement, if a man falls, whose fault is it? Not his, it's the woman's fault because she's the one that didn't dress properly. How many times have we seen it in IFB sermon clips Uh, or I'm sorry, is it preacher clips now? uh, I just pulled uh, them up. It's IFB sermon. IFB sermon. sermons now. Yeah. Sermons. Okay. Um, how many times have we seen it where, you know, um, if a woman has a skirt that's too high, she's causing a man to lust. If a man acts on that lust, it's her fault. And then we're just going to kind of, you know, hey, let's do some counseling with the man. Let's do, you know, but, you know, it's not your fault. She mm-hmm. tempted you into this. And we don't teach young men, young boys in the IFB world, we're not taught to control their sexual appetites because we weren't allowed to talk about it. Right. You aren't allowed to talk about it. You're not allowed to discuss it. You're not allowed, you know, if your parents told you about the birds and the bees, you were more on the liberal side of things and, you know, just wasn't discussed. Right. So you wrap all of this up into, you know, a package of how we're training and how we're um, raising young boys. And it's no wonder we're at the place where we're at today. And right. now it's, Oh, okay. Well, it's her fault. We're going to make it her fault. Um, And if she's, um, you know, and then the silence part comes in because a woman's not supposed to speak out. So if a woman speaks out about the wrong in the church, she's wrong uh, because the Bible says you're not supposed to speak out. So we've, we've built this culture where not only is it easy pickings for a abuser, but then on the other side, we've made it very, 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 very hard to, for the victim to come out and be supported. 
that's what's, you know, going on right now in the IFE movement. And the second part of that question, I believe was refresh. My memory. It was uh, when you have a ministry first uh, oh. philosophy, but I, I want to, before you even say that, like you, you mentioned okay. two things that were really good. Uh, when you talked about, you know, the, the, the man of God or the preacher doesn't bear responsibility in situations. And then you also mentioned um, IFB sermon clips. And I, I literally, when you had said that, I actually thought of a clip I watched last night and it deals with a very minor issue, but this is basically it's Bill Reeves has been all over uh, IFB <laughs> sermon clips lately. And, uh, but, it, but it, there was a Q and a that they did where it, it happened in the church and his staff who happened also be his children um, are talking about like their responsibility in a situation where uh, he had stepped out of bounds. So I want to, I want to just share, let me share, share my screen really quick because I think this clip kind of speaks to what you're talking about. So dad came into the office and this is a perfect, this is me being 100, me being absolutely the most amazing person in the world. <laughs> if he came into the office and was having serious <laughs> attitude issues with me, um, and I evaluated myself, and I was like, okay, as far as I know, I don't think I'm in the wrong here. And I think you're in the wrong. I think your spirit's wrong. And I think you just didn't have a coffee this morning. I need to stop and realize, hey, guess what? You are in the wrong. Why didn't you get him a coffee this morning so he didn't act this way? And see, that's, that is the problem with a lot of our followers is they get so turned off by how their leadership is, they, they miss their responsibility because there's a lot of power in, in being a help to your pastor, to your preacher, to your boss. There's a lot of power you have to control them without controlling them. If you can get to know your leadership that well to see all of their faults, and if you're that spiritual to be able to look at them and know that they're wrong, then you should be able to be that spiritual to help them be right. The thing is, we're not that spiritual. The thing is, it's a whole lot easier to see what's wrong with people and to see what's wrong with yourself. So you just got to stop, I just stop sometimes, and just think about what he's saying and control my spirit. Say, you know what, what's something that I could have done to fix this, this situation? And at the end of the day, a lot of times, what, honestly, what I do is I, I don't think about it a whole lot. Walks out of the office, I try to take as much as I can from the situation, and I either let it roll off my back, and I continue on with the day, because the last thing you need to do is get all, get all hot and bothered about something that your leadership said that you don't think is true. If you don't think it is true, if, if it is true, then you need to deal with it, and it will come back. But a lot of times, that's where you've got to have a walk with God. You've got to have a walk with God where you can look and you can divide Scripture and look at yourself. Because that's what the Bible's for. And you can look at your authority and say, you know what, this is something that I need to fix. But that's just a few things that I attempt to do. Yeah, man. I, when I watched that clip, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, when I watched that clip, and, and I've really backed off the gas quite a bit with the, the Reeves just because I feel like, it's more attention than, you know, than the church yeah. really needs. But, you know, when I watch that clip, it, there's a lot of things that, you know, Bill Reeves says from the pulpit, like, that's funny. Like, it's funny that he says these extreme things. Like it's, it has that, that like kind of surprise, like, well, I can't believe you just said that value. But like that clip specifically, it made me feel incredibly bad for his kids. Like, and so like watching that, 
I mean, one, just like one rule that my parents had that I appreciate was that they said, never call us Mr. And Mrs. Skorzynski, like never call us like by our title, like we're mom and dad. And like, um, and I get the context of a Q and A, like, I don't want to dig too much into that, but like hearing, like I always cringe when I hear people, like, especially wives, when they call their husband, like pastor, it's, it's weird to me. Cause I feel like that's not the relationship. Like that may be part of it, but it's also your husband or your father. Um, but like with him, I, I, and I can just, it's odd to me seeing him lay out so clearly, like if anything happens that offends me, it's on me. If he does something, if he's in a bad mood, if he does something that's wrong, if he's, if he has a, he said, if he had a bad attitude, he said, I'm just going to let it roll off my back and never address it because something's obviously wrong with me. And that's like, again, this is not me making fun of him. Like that's, that's abuse one-on-one. Like that's, that's saying that whatever happens to me, whatever um, awful thing takes place, I bear the responsibility for that. And just watching that, like I usually when I watch a Reeves clip, I kind of smirk or I have this like, oh yeah, you know, that's kind of dumb. And, but like watching that was like, man, the amount of manipulation going on in that family, just evident in that two minute clip is really, really shocking. So I, I just want to share that because if that's happening over a cup of coffee, you know, imagine in churches when that's happening over, hey, the pastor said something inappropriate or he acted odd with me, you know, and how many people have I interviewed where they said, I didn't think anything of it. He was my youth pastor. I didn't think I could be the one to call him out. And uh, anyway, I just wanted to address that before you answer the next part of that. Yeah, I mean, because a victim gets a victim not only gets the blame, but the abuser knows that they can't say anything. Right. It's, it's so we, we've created a culture where um, abusers uh, are, it's very easy for them to flourish. And that's why I think a lot of them are in these churches is because mm -hmm. it's very, it's, it's a very easy playgrounds for them uh, just because it is something that they're going to get the blame for. And, they're going to be put in a corner of, I can't take this man of God down. What's going to happen? Because God is, we can get into the whole, what's wrong with the IFB movie on another question, but, uh, you know, and the man of God answer the second question. Um, I still don't understand how it would be even feasible for normal human beings, normal church members to think that, a person is such a great person for sacrificing his family. Isn't the family unit the most important unit in the world, especially in churches? But yet the man of God is given a pass because he's always gone or always, you know, hardly ever there working these long hours. You know, um, I was lucky because even though my dad, there, you know, traveled a lot, did a lot of things. When he was home, he did put the effort in. He was at every game he could be. He was, you know, very involved with certain things. But I do remember thinking, you know, especially as a teenager, like, man, I wish I would have had my dad tonight. Like, mm -hmm. I feel very uh, vulnerable. I feel very scared. I feel very, you know, because of a teen night, we get called out, you know, all of that stuff that goes on. It's like, man, I really wish I could use my dad here right now. Um, I could imagine, you know, with some of these you know, pastor's kids go through, because not only are you, is dad hardly ever there or hardly ever present, 
uh, even if he is there, but you live in a glass house. Right. Like everybody is watching you. I, I, I get to put it in a way or use an example of, you know, a president's family, like the Obamas. I can imagine what those two girls went through. Uh, yeah. Living in a glass house like that and always being monitored, having paparazzi, all you know, you can't leave without secrets. Like, I can't imagine. I know it's pastors' kids are not on that scale, but everyone's watching you. You make one wrong move or say one wrong thing, and you've got church members just coming down on you and lining up at you know your door. And it's just, it's a pressure cooker for teens who are still trying to figure themselves out. And I think that's where. Um, pastors need to be very cognizant and put their family first and then the ministry in their lives. And if you feel that your family is slipping or, you know, you, one kid needs more attention, um, you know, at that period of time, I think your church members would understand if you said, Hey, I need to take care of my family. Can we reschedule this? I'm going to take my kid to lunch today and just surprise them. Hey, can you reschedule this, you know, a counseling appointment or whatever it is. Um, but I think it has become a badge of honor almost listening to some of these guys say, yep, I'm never there. Or I think it was, um, what do they call him? Ramblin' Hamblin'. I'm, I'm uh, looking for was, John Hamblin's clip right yep, now. Yep, yep, yeah. uh, Where he says, um, you know, two evangelists came to him and said, how do I get my book full? And he says, you won't be, you won't, you won't ever be ready until you sacrifice your family is the gist yeah. that I got from it. But um, yeah, I, I I don't, I don't think God would ever want a man to sacrifice his family, the most important unit on this earth, for a ministry. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that answers that question while you're finally finding the humbling uh, <laughs> sermon clip. Well, no, and it's even, it's even a biblical thing, like the, the, the qualifications for eldership. You know, it, one of right. them is to keep his house in order. Like it's, um, yeah, tied to First uh, Timothy three one through seven. It goes back to, and I in I'm learning this, you know, with my two young ones now, and even in my personal life, there's things that will never leave us. When even when we leave the you know independent fundamental Baptist movement, there's things that have been ingrained into us. You know, whether it's you know character flaws or whether it's how we react two things, what triggers we have, um, you know, and, and one of the things I'm having to find is we need to find a balance when it mm -hmm. comes to interpretation of the scripture. Let's find a balance because for every verse that says, you know, um, you know, one thing, there's another verse, you know, in the new Testament, or, you know, if you want to take it to the old Testament that is telling us the exact opposite, what, what is, what do I believe God is trying to tell us? Be balanced. Be somewhere in the middle. Don't be extreme right. Don't be extreme left. I saw a meme the other day. I think it was Sherry that uh, uh, Bothwell that shared the meme and it said something about if you're legalistic, you're way on the right. If you're liberal, you're way on the left. And both are very damaging. Yeah. Be somewhere. Find a balance. Create a balance, whether it's work life, family life, how you view society, social issues, um, how you interpret scripture. Let's be balanced. And I think a lot of this type of stuff won't happen anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a very important thing for all of us that are getting out of the IFB because there is no balance in, in those churches. It was yeah. extreme. Um, so did you find the clip? I can't find it, but it's there. No, <laughs> no but uh, yeah, I, I, 
I've, uh, I used to be able to search all of their stuff super fast, but uh, anyway, yeah, no, I, I think that's, that answers that question though. And I think there's been a lot of people who probably have crossed over and have seen it. And if I, if I can find it, if I, if I end up re-uploading this as like an edit, I'll, I'll cut it in. Um, but yeah, no, the, the other question that came in was, um, actually this was a couple points, but yeah, there were a few different uh, thoughts here. They talked about family dynamics in IFB churches, which we covered. Um, this was an interesting one. Um, so they talked about like growth maturity and aging patterns and those who've remained in the IFB versus growth maturity and aging patterns and those who have not remained in the IFB. Um, it's not really a question, but it's just more pointing out those two different trajectories. And um, I don't know if you have thoughts on it, you want to jump on first. I definitely have a couple of opinions on it, but uh, yeah, it's, it. it's uh, yeah. I mean, when you, when you look at it, I, I can pull this really just from my experience seeing, uh, and I'll speak to pastors specifically, um, because I have a couple of good friends. I've had Josh Armour on the show, Connor Smith on the show, and um, both of which I've known when they were within that camp and have moved out of it. Josh Armour was was moving out, but was still there and still had connections like, you know, within that world. Um, I knew Connor when he was, you know, hardcore, like <laughs> super hardcore IFB. And we, we laughed about when he came on. And I also know a lot of pastors and guest speakers who spoke at our church growing up and who I grew up around and youth pastors. And um, I, I, the trajectory I've seen, and, and this is not by any means always the case. There's always exceptions to this rule, but I've seen, you know, with Josh and Connor, for example, over the last five or six years, if I look at their ministry and themselves six years ago, it's, it's almost funny how much of a change has been. I don't mean a change in, oh, their music is better, which it is significantly better now, um, you know, or it's not that they're, they don't wear a tie. Like, I'm not talking about that stuff. And, you know, some of that stuff's happened. Some of it, like, some of it, they're more conservative than I would be. Some of it, they're not. But when it comes to talking to them about church and about theology and about people and culture, and there is so much more, restraint and I think and I want to be careful the words I use but there's like so much wisdom that I see and there's so much of a not that they've like shifted but like their focus has gotten more and more clear over the last couple years and um you know so where broadly I think Josh Ermler would have talked about like the gospel and its role in the church now it's like a laser focus on like the gospel is the lifeblood of the church and like so like it's the same topic, but he's understanding more and more the importance of it with, with Connor talking with him about, you know, his views, like we were talking about the election, everything like that. And we were talking about like political views and how the church should speak into different things and we're not speaking to different things. And like hearing like this kind of lasered focus on like what is going to benefit, like the end goal of the church, you know, it's, it's gotten so specific and so thoughtful. I think thoughtful is the word I see. And it's what I see, it's empathy and thoughtfulness and just not, not being coy or cowardly about stuff, but like just having this tact and thoughtfulness. And I compare and contrast that with people I grew up listening, speak at events and, you know, people that I knew in ministries that, you know, were, were connected to our, our church. And these pastors are saying the same, literally, literally some of the same sermons they preached when I was, you know, when I was 13 or 14. 
And that same sermon is being regurgitated over and over again, year after year, as they cycle back through their, you know, revival road journey. And I don't see that maturity and thoughtfulness. It's, it's the same messages that played well in the last venue. And, you know, again, do, does either side get it right perfectly? No, but I, I think for me as a Christian myself, I want to fault on the side of, you know, who's being thoughtful and who is developing. I, I think that's the right word is developing and maturing and not someone who's saying like, oh, this worked really well at a conference in 08. So now I'm going to use it at a conference in 2018 or 2020. Um, and I just want to shout out a couple of people that jumped on. Um, Carol, thanks for jumping on. Susan, you're still here. Dale, uh, good to see you. Um, yeah, Dale's uh, my uh, one of my best friends. So good to see him jump on. But, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of my take. And that's what I've seen. I don't know if you've observed the same thing. Um, oh, absolutely. Especially the last about six to eight years since I've, you know, kind of dabbled in other churches and denominations and, you know, kind of talked with pastors and even people from, you know, the old IFB days that are still in the movement. Um, I, what I've seen is, is the difference between open and closed mindedness. We were raised, a lot of IFB people are raised to what? Be closed-minded and you're built to succeed within the four walls of that church or on that campus. Um, they're so scared and petrified that if you were to go out into the real world, that you would fall into sin. Well, if you have the one true religion, what are you scared about if I go out into the world and commingle with what you want to call worldly people? Why are we so scared of it if, if it's the one true religion? But they are because they know that they can't control you. It's, it's a lot of control in the IFB world. And um, I'm going to hang you over hell. I think we talked about this on the first episode or the first podcast that we did. You know, there's no difference between what they do after salvation. The Catholic church does before salvation. There is no difference. They're going to hang you over, you know, a barrel and say, if you're not here, you know, he, use Hebrews 10, 25 to get you in every service, hit you with tithes and not only tithes, then you have to give offerings and then you have to, you know, do the take a bill and you got to do this and it, you're not right with God. You know, if you do this, it's a very, controlling closed-minded mindset which doesn't foster a lot of um, maturity as you grow older and I think that a lot of Christian maturity is stunted and I think for a lot of members they've given up their spiritualness to a man of God and to feed them and they've stopped okay they they can say that they read the Bible every morning but they read it through the lens of what their pastor has told them not seeking to understand for their own personal knowledge, not seeking to understand the truth, but they read it through the prism of what their pastor tells them is the correct interpretation. And if they do find something that's interpreted differently, they're scared to stand up and speak out because you're going to be shouted down. Uh, whereas conversely, I see a lot of younger people, you know, people our age and younger, um, really going, wait a minute. Wait a minute, because our parents were the ones that said, uh, um, don't ask why, just do what you're told. Right. And we didn't like that. I'm one of them. I'll be honest. I'm one of them. Mm. I'm going to go seek the truth. I'm going to go, why? No, you got to give me the why. And so I think a lot of young people are going, why? I know what I was told. I know what I regurgitated from, you know, the seminary uh, that I went to, um, you know, the Baptist college that I went to. But is it really? 
the truth. And now we're starting to see the Ermlers and, you know, Connor and a lot of these guys, the, um, you know, the uh, uh, fundamentalist, uh, is it covering fundamentalist podcast? Yeah. Those guys, you're starting to see this maturity in this growth because they've opened their mind to, I may not have had the correct interpretation. And I right. think there's a lot of pastors out there that are going, that are on the older side in the IFB world. And I've talked to a few of them and I've asked them about certain things. Like, do you agree with this? Um, whether it's a philosophy or a doctrine, do you agree with this here? Let me challenge you. Let me give you some, my point of view. And a lot of times it's, I just don't want to change. I've been in it for so long. Either my name is going to get, you know, hit. I won't mm -hmm. be preaching in the pulpits that I was preaching, you know, I'm used to preaching in. I may lose some of my congregation. I may, you know, I just, I'm older. I don't like change. I don't want to change. I'm just going to stick with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I don't, and I, I see the younger generation really questioning and searching and doing their own homework and not just taking for granted what someone behind the pulpit is saying is true, right. I guess is the best way I can put it, articulate that. Yeah, no, when I, uh, when I first left my, my phrase, I would always say is like, I'm kind of kicking at the floorboards of everything I was taught just to see what <laughs> stands up. And honestly, a um, lot of stuff did hold up and a lot of stuff didn't it was a it was a pretty even split but I think again the truth kind of has nowhere to hide like it's it's you know uh, JC Groves on Becoming Fundamentalist always says truth never fears a challenge and I think that's accurate um you know I, I think if Christianity is true kicking at the fundamentals to see if they're going to hold up is not going to yield a result that you don't want um I, if you guys have any other questions, um, you know, definitely drop those into YouTube. It's funny, you, you actually answered like three of the questions I was about to ask with talking through generational response to the IFB culture, um, you know, talking through uh, how people respond to the church. Um, uh, Dale says the truth's like a lion, you don't have to defend it, let it loose, it'll defend itself. Uh, Laura says, uh, that's exactly what the Bible says to do, search the scriptures. Um, yeah, I mean, literally, Paul praised the Bereans for like searching the scriptures every day after they left their service, you know, quote unquote service, and making sure everything that was said was true. Um, if you if you find yourself asking somebody in the IFB world a you know question or challenging them on something, and if their first response is, "Well, that's what my pastor says," and I've heard that so many times, they're in trouble. They've given up their spiritual. Um, you know, their spiritual side of them to a person. That's not, that's not what the Bible teaches about it. I'm responsible for my spiritualness. Now, I'm not saying that the church is bad or the church is, you know, not helpful. Without churches, we wouldn't be feeding the poor. Without religion, we wouldn't be, uh, you know, um, feeding, you know, the homeless and, uh, you know, there's uh, hospitals, you know, St. Jude's, a lot of these. Um, so religion isn't bad when it has its place, rightful place in a person's life. Mm -hmm. It's not church, then me, and then God up here for my spiritualness. It's reversed. Okay. The church is supposed to be sporting my relationship with God, not dictating my relationship with God. And that's where the IFB gets it wrong. They want to dictate my relationship with God. And then they'll turn around and when it comes to salvation, point to the Catholics and say, well, how is the Pope dictating someone's salvation? Well, right. you're doing the same thing after salvation. Yeah, you're that dictating they're their doing. sanctification, you know, it just switches into, into this role. Yeah, it's it's a really, um, 
yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's diving into what benefits the, the church or the ministry and letting that guide the theology and what benefits the person running it. Um, you, you mentioned like, you know, the heavy emphasis on, you know, think of sacrificial giving and so like you know it goes back to that ministry first philosophy right like putting everything you have on the line for the sake of the ministry even if that comes to the point of forsaking your ministry of your family uh, your personal walk with god like any kind of personal theological study um i pulled up another clip I, i'm i feel like jamie on the joe rogan podcast i'm like thinking of all these clips but uh there's a um there's a clip from John MacArthur. I've definitely got some uh, <laughs> some different views than MacArthur on quite a few topics. Um, and I think I've maybe mentioned him on the show a couple of times, but there was a, um, he addressed the story of the, the widow who gave her last two mites or last two coins to the church. And I heard that, I don't know about you. I heard that every missions conference, like be like the widow and like, you'd have the long altar call. They literally would have like, you know, the buckets with like, you know, put your last coins in and all this stuff. And um, anyway, he, he did a sermon basically about the topic of the widow's last two mites and explained that the part of the verse you don't ever read is when it says after that, like, that's what fueled Christ to say, like, I'm going to basically tear down and rebuild the church. Um, so I wanted to just play a quick, quick snippet from that um, from MacArthur here. Let me share that. Getting faster on this, uh, getting faster on this share screen button. So we're doing good. You know, the prosperity gospel is more morally reprehensible than a Las Vegas casino because it masquerades as religion. They take your money in Las Vegas, but you expect it. Because <laughs> it's run by the mafia. You don't expect the people that represent God to do the same thing. And when Jesus saw the widow put her last mite into the temple, Offering, he said, this temple is going to come down. Not one stone will be left on another. I don't know what you have been taught about that story of the widow giving her last two cents. That was not an example of Christian giving. God doesn't expect you to give your last two cents and go home and die. That's what happens to a widow who is suckered by a religion of works. She was trying to buy with her last two cents her way into the kingdom because that's what she'd been taught. And Jesus says any system that sucks people down to the place where they have nothing left in a false hope is coming down. And it did. Anyway, so yeah, I thought, I thought that was... Yeah, so that, that clip came to mind when you were talking about that, but... Uh, yeah, I had a I had a question come in. Susan just said, "What would you suggest to do with your religion and faith after leaving the IFB? Uh, what did you do to search, or or maybe even throwing it away?" Um, I, I think we touched on this a little bit, but uh, if you want to if you want to start with that, like what your kind of journey was, did you did you step away temporarily? Like, what was kind of your your process? Um, oh boy, that's a whole backstory. <laughs> so I was a I was, I can, rem I can remember vividly. So I got married very soon out of like right out of college. Um, and you really, you know, if you're in the IFP world, we know that a lot of times you don't know the other person. It could be oil and water and you just don't know it yet. Um, I came out to California to be a assistant pastor at an independent fundamental Baptist church. I did that because I looked and I said, what are the two furthest spots from Chesterton, Indiana that I can go to? 
and it's the tip of Florida and Southern California. <laughs> um, I joke about that, but it's sort of true. And so I came out to California uh, to get away from Fairhaven, get away, you know, get away from what they were doing in the, in the vicious cycle that everybody was in. And for about a year, I was a pastor and I was like, okay, man, nobody's going to be like Fairhaven. There's not going to be a pastor that does the things that Fairhaven do. I was promised that he even said when he was, you know, hiring me, yeah, I'm just not like Fairhaven. They're way over the top. But even though he'd go back to their preaching conferences and want to be, you know, all involved in that. Um, So about a year, nine months into it, uh, he started really acting like Roger Vogelin, just mm. calling you know me out. It was all my face. If something went wrong, it was always my fault. And I just remember thinking there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to life than this. Um, unfortunately, uh, it didn't work out between my wife and I. Um, you know, we went our separate ways, part, part my fault, you know, part her fault. Um, you know, and I remember thinking, after that, I want nothing to do with religion. I threw it out, threw the baby out with the bathwater, just get rid of it all, want nothing to do with it. I'm done. And I remember it was like a switch. It just snapped with me because for 21 years, I was in a pressure cooker. 21 years, it was just like all of these emotions that you learn to compartmentalize, you learn to bottle up, you learn. And, you know, we can, this is a topic for a different time, but, you know, how a man is supposed to be and act in, you know, um, and not let your emotions out. Uh, and I remember it just snapped with me. And I was like, I don't care at what it costs. I'm out. I'm done. I'm through with this. There's got to be more to life than this. Even if I'm going to hell, it's worth it at this point. And I remember coming to that point in, in that conclusion and, um, you know, made some bad decisions. And, you know, that ended up, you know, costing me. And I just remember about a couple of years later saying, you know what, religion did give me some stability. Uh, Religion does have some structure, some things that are good that comes of it. Um, You know, like they can support your walk with God. They can support your, um, you know, need for good friend, you know, friends and a good base of friends. Problem. And I still, and I think it's going to ever be a, search and find and it's always going to be something that we're trying to you know evolve which i think is the beauty of it too is you know okay what did i you know what did i do i took it down to the studs my religion i questioned everything got rid of it all and now it's starting to be like okay now how do i build that back up you know what do i believe about the church what do i believe about you know salvation what do i believe about this and this and this and this. And the beauty of it is, is now I get to be the one that builds that back up, not someone else telling me how I'm supposed to act and what I'm supposed to think and how I'm supposed to interpret. So I would say if anybody that that is leaving the Independent Fundamental Baptist movement, and everybody does it at a varying degree. Some people just take one step out of it. Some people are running as far from it as they possibly can. So I think there's differing degrees of separation from the IFB. Uh, Those that are going to stay closer to it probably are going to, you know, not question everything. They're still going to have their beliefs in a lot of things. They just maybe didn't like uh, the way the operation side of things was going on. Uh, The ones that want nothing to do with it and are throwing religion out. I still believe in God. I still believe that, you know, God put us all here for a purpose. I still have the fundamental beliefs, 
but a lot of it has changed and it goes back to kind of the previous conversation we had about, you know, the Ermlers and Connors of the world where now we're open-minded. Now it's like, okay, well, what can I, let me read, you know, the, this, this far left book on, you know, the subject and let me read the far right. And I get to come to my own decision of mm -hmm. where I'm going to land on this. Um, so I, I would always, you know, advise people when you, the further you get away from it, you're going to have a better perspective and you get to be the one that chooses what you take and what you leave, uh, there. Um, and you're going to be the one that, uh, you know, gets to define how you're going to view, um, you know, your spiritual walk with God and your religion, because spirituality and religion are two different things, but the IFB movement combines them and makes you think that they cannot be inseparable because now they control you. And a lot right. of other churches do the same thing, you know, not just the IFBs, but a lot of other churches do the same thing. I have my spiritualness. It is given to me by the grace of God. My walk with God is my responsibility. Religion is to help support that, not be the one that is between me and God. Mm -hmm. And I think we get that very confused. And as you're going through life, you, you get to take what you want and then you get to leave what you want with it. But I would definitely say, don't let your experience, bad experience with the church taint your or prevent you from finding out the truth because mm -hmm. uh, i think a lot of times we've had such a bad experience with it we're just throwing the baby out with the bathwater, and there's some good that we're throwing out with it too and that's what i believe we ought to keep with us is the good that comes from it. a lot of the moral you know aspects of what religion teaches yeah, I, I, I mean, I went on a similar thing, you know, I mentioned earlier, kicking at the foundation a little bit, like, and trying to just see what, what stands up and what holds up. And, uh, you know, I mean, for me, too, I, I, I think, you know, getting into an environment, like changing environments, huge, um, you know, obviously, if you're in a place that's crushing the spiritual side of you, and is, you know, just steamrolling you every chance it gets, I think, to get into a healthier environment where, that's not the case is, is huge. And that was what I did. I, I went to, I mentioned Josh Ermland, like going to uh, Ambassador Baptist Church at the time, their Fresno church now, but going there and, you know, getting an environment where people had conversations about theology because that's what they were thinking about or about, you know, the relationship with Christ, because that's what they were thinking about and not because it was what they had to talk about to sound a certain way. And, and it wasn't, when I first went, it was like, it was like weird because it wasn't people, people weren't turning around after church. Like the, the way that church used to be for me growing up was people would turn around after a service, kind of like, ah, it's over. And like, let's talk about a football game. Yeah, that's coming on. And that's fine. I'm not saying anything wrong about football games, but like going to ambassador, like, and people would turn around and be like, wow, I was just thinking throughout the week about this. And it wasn't coming from this, like, oh, I memorized this much of my Bible. So like, I'm the most impressive Christian. It came from this place of like, that's what they were just meditating on all the time. It's like thinking about that. And so for me, you know, seeing that environment was really impactful. And it made me as someone who was like, really like trying to figure out for the first time, like what my faith was, it was like, oh, I want that. Like, I want that connection and that kind of actual passion about what I believe. Because up to that point, it was, 
if I memorize this, what from the time you're a little kid, if I memorize this, I'll get a piece of candy to if I memorize this, the youth pastor will be happy to if I memorize this, I'll graduate Bible college to if I memorize this, people will think I'm a great speaker. Like everything is always this like, if I do this, I earn this kind of mentality. And so being in Fresno was the first time that I actually like tried to study for myself, you know, what do I believe in? Why? Uh, one book that I'll recommend, and I'll put a huge, huge caveat on this before I even say the author's name. The, um, the author himself has a pretty checkered past, like religiously, but I will say that his books at the time that I was leaving were instrumental in, in helping me understand. It's, it's funny because he lived contrary to a lot of the things that he wrote about. Um, but the person that I, that I found at the time I left was Mark Driscoll and uh, Driscoll was very, I mean, a very domineering pastor and, you know, a very harsh leader. Like I'd say he'd fall into that Paul Chapel kind of category we've talked about. Um, and anyway, if you look up his name, you'll find plenty of dirt, but I just want to mention specifically the books that helped. And um, one of them was called Religion Saves and Nine Other Misconceptions. Um, I'll just screen share so people can see what that looks like. Um, but honestly, like, even though I don't recommend Mark Driscoll, um, this book was one of the like number one, uh, reasons that I, that I understood what was wrong with my theology prior to, you know, stepping away from the movement. Uh, so it covers, it says here, like religion saves none of the misconceptions They go into birth control, uh, humor, predestination, grace, sexual sin, faith and works, dating, emerging church, the regulative principle. Um, but really like diving into that book and understanding that like it needed to come from a relationship with Christ and not in a religious context was like incredibly, incredibly helpful for me. And this was one of the key books uh, that really helped me kind of process what all of the misconceptions that he mentions are misconceptions that I had throughout my journey. So that, that book was huge. Um, John MacArthur was huge, like the importance of Bible study again, would disagree with a lot of John MacArthur's recent stances on things, but again, you have to, again, you have to read people. You can read, I think, pretty varied um, and, you know, take the good things that they have and, you know, leave the rest. Um, but like just the importance of having personal theology was so important. Um, and, uh, but yeah, just really diving in and saying like, what do I believe and why uh, was really, really important. And uh, podcasts, books, um, you know, most people listening to this podcast are probably somewhere on this journey, you know, trying to figure this stuff out. Um, but it's just, it's really important to start, you know, really personally studying. I think getting away from, you know, getting away from leaders who are going to necessarily like prescribe something to you and are instead going to have this relationship of what are you learning lately? And let's talk about it instead of learn this now. <laughs> so you can have this kind of, this kind of role. Uh, but I think that's, I think that's important. Um, yeah, if, when, you, if you find yourself as a Christian doing, you know, doing things with your church out of duty rather than devotion, mm -hmm. you're just going through the motions. And that's that's unfortunately what a lot of IFB people are doing, you know, doing these days. And I think that's a right. large reason why the younger generation, you don't see them anymore. And that those a lot of those sermon clips that I see on on Twitter I see a lot of the older generation sitting there and very little of the younger generation because they're not getting fed. They're not buying into it. Um, you know, and it's, it's okay to question. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I want to just ask one more question here. Um, I, I want to keep it kind of at like an hour. I think that's a good a good length. Um, and I appreciate everybody who's jumped on uh, and, and watched. But um, one, one question somebody brought on, and, and this kind of goes in, in tandem with what we just talked about, was uh, what's it like going from Pharisee to a leper when you're a holy roller to a normal person and uh, the transition? I, I think really speaking to, you know, with the leper, like people who you grew up with, who used to look at you as like one of the chosen ones and, you know, now are reaching out and treating you like, you know, you're dead pretty much. Um, how do you deal with that transition? And like, obviously with big belief shifts and, and you know, all of the, the transitions that you go through, you have oh, people boy. that come out of the woodwork with their own opinions, so. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, I used to help, like back when I first left, first couple of years I left Fairhaven, the IFB movement, I would have on a monthly basis, a lot of my friends uh, reach out to me and say, how did you do it? Because if, you know, in, in the Fairhaven world, McNeely, my father was a very big, you know, name. Uh, mm. And I know there's different camps, but in that camp, he was a very big name. And so if, you know, Michael is doing it and can do it, I want out too. How do you do it? But I'm scared. And I think people fear the abandonment the most. And I'm, it, unfortunately, it is going to be abandonment. And there's no two ways to pull punches about it and soften it. A lot of people that are, you know, supposedly the most, you know, um, uh, open-minded, as they would say, um, proclaim themselves, are going to turn their backs on you. And they're going to gossip and say things that are untrue and, you know, do a lot of unchristian-like things, but they think that they're going to be justified in it. Um, my father disowned me for a year and a half. We never spoke. Um, you know, every one of my friends, every, every person that I grew up with turned their back on me. And the other big problem that you face in that transition is that the world you were told was evil and bad. And there is evil and bad in the world. It's not as evil and bad as what we were told, but we're not very street smart, I guess is the best way to put it. We don't fit in. You go to, you know, a dinner or a party or something with, with a bunch of other people that don't have the backgrounds that we have or had, and you just kind of don't fit in because you didn't watch movies growing up. At least we didn't. I, I don't get your references. I don't get your movie line references. I don't get your, you know, 90s music references. I don't get a lot of these things because, and so that's very challenging to try and transition because not only are you detoxing from IFB and trying to get all of that out, but you're also not fitting in either uh, because you're having a tough time as, you know, an adult now trying to um, find common ground with people who quite honestly cannot comprehend what we went through and, you know, the mindset that we're coming from. Uh, I just stopped telling people where I came from at, at a certain point, trying to explain it to them. Uh, you know, it's, they just look at you like, what? That's just so weird. So odd. And they, and they can't correlate. They can't, they never went through it. They never had the experience to understand. And so you feel like an odd duck. You feel like, like, where am I going to fit in this world? What am I going to do? And I think it's just a process. It's not going to happen quickly. It's a process. One of the things that really helped my transition, and I didn't, I didn't pick this up until later, like a couple of years after I'd gotten out of it, was find a therapist, not a counselor, 
um, you know, not a Christian, you know, pastor or, you know, at your church, find a good therapist, psychiatrist, psychologist with either one and talk to them because going to them really helped me talk to, through a lot of my emotions and a lot of, and I knew it was a safe space because we're not used to a safe space in Christian churches. I mean, you do something wrong. Everyone in the church knows within two minutes, like there's no safe space to say things or do things, you know, and especially, what was that? If, you're, especially if you're a staff kid. <laughs> exactly. So you're, you're bottled up and you've got all of this inside you. And it's just a really good therapeutic way. I still go to the therapist today and I've 12 years removed, um, not consistently, but I'll find times where it's like, I'm, I'm getting triggered. I know where it's coming from, uh, you know, and cause they can teach us a lot of the ways that was forbidden in the IFB. They looked at psychiatrists and psychologists and their methods as, you know, it came from who was a Sigmund Freud and it's just, yeah. you know, evolution is the devil and it's this, no, they actually have some things that work. You can ask my sister too. They actually have things that worked because we are damaged people. Yeah. The beauty of it is they're going to help put the pieces of the puzzle together and get you into a somewhat normal life. And then you're going to find out that there is no normal in the real world. <laughs> like yeah. Everyone's dysfunctional and, and got their own set of issues, but you start seeing it through a very different prism and it really, really helps. And that's what I always recommended for people transitioning out. Um, go find a good therapist, get, you know, um, and detox from it. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater would be, you know, an encouragement, but that's on them and, and what they want to do, but get into a therapist and understand because there's going to be a lot of triggers that you don't know are there. There's going to be a lot of closed and locked doors that you just emotionally put in there that they're going to unlock and it's going to be ugly coming out. I can, I can say that, you know, but you know, it's kind of like the, uh, the bruise. If you get a bruise, it gets worse before it gets better. It's going to get worse before it gets better because all of these emotions, all of these things are coming out, but you don't want those to come out in the wrong way down the road because they're inevitably going to come out in a, you know, whether you erupt in anger or whether you start getting into different vices and getting addictions going, um, you know, a lot of these things are going to happen. I've mm. seen a lot of friends just bottled up, not get help and, you know, got three DUIs or, you know, can't, you know, stop taking certain drugs or, you know, get hooked on certain things, get it out, get all of that out. And you're going to, you're going to find that you're, you can live a very healthy mental life. And you're going to find that a lot of the control that is controlling your life, even though you're outside of the IFB church, they're still controlling you. They're mm -hmm. still controlling your thoughts. They're still controlling your emotions because they built it inside of you for 20 something years. Go to someone who can help you find what triggers you. Because if you can identify it, now I know, hey, this is why I feel this way. How can I fix it? Whereas if you don't, it's like, my gosh, why am I reacting this way? Why did I just do this, you know, or say this to my wife or react this way to my kids or react this way to my boss or, you know, because it's bottled up and we never go get that professional help. Cause quite honestly, we've talked about the controlling, we've talked about how, you know, it's, it's almost abuse, you know, the question yeah. and answering, like that's the mentality. And even though you leave it, guess what? It's still coming with you until you take care of it. Right. So that would be my suggestion to anybody leaving the IFB and wanting to, you know, try to fit in with society. 
um, you know, and, and help them in that way. You want to get to a good mental healthy state. So if you can do that, everything else takes care of itself. Yeah, no, I, I second that. I, I actually, um, it's funny you brought that up, but I'm, I'm actually working on something right now with a, a therapist to basically create a, based an episode like this, uh, kind of a webinar to kind of guide people through how to find a therapist and how, especially if you're totally foreign to that world. Um, I, I called her a few months back and said, you know, uh, do you look at a phone book and like flip through, like, how do you find a therapist who's like not a total, you know, quack. And, and so, uh, so we're working on something right now to kind of um, try to put together resources where people can find a therapist. Um, I think it's very important. I I'm preaching to the choir. I need to get set up with a regular therapist. That's been a, a pretty common thing. Um, I just steal my sessions from her <laughs> when we're talking, um, but, but it's true. I mean, people who are trained in this stuff, she, she said two things in our call yesterday, as I was kind of unpacking some of the stuff I've been experiencing. And just like one of the things she said, it was like a, it was like a very short sentence, but it was like a da- like it just hit me right exactly where it needed to. And I, I told her right then, I was like, see, that's why you need a professional because I said, you just, you just summed up like seven years of trying to figure something out in four seconds that would have taken me another seven years of like stumbling around to find. And so um, keep an eye out for that. I'll, I'll be putting out some information on that pretty soon in the, in the uh, preacher boys group. Um, but we, we definitely want to emphasize like find real help. There are a lot of people who are, I'll even say well-intentioned. There's a lot of well-intentioned pastors who just not because they have ill ill intentions or they're trying to hurt, but they don't have the training to really assist in some of these situations, especially when there's like physical or sexual abuse. Like you need to see someone who specializes in PTSD and trauma recovery and things like that. But um, yeah, I I hope that this was helpful. I I know that uh, we're just a little bit over an hour now and I want to start doing these uh, on the regular and uh, really start um, you know, just being available to answer some of these questions. And I don't want to, I don't want to get too out of touch with, with what people are actually wanting to hear about and talk about, but, uh, this was helpful for me. And I appreciate, uh, Michael, I appreciate you for jumping on and, and talking. Absolutely. So, Anytime. It's always fun. This is basically our normal phone conversations, but with an audience. <laughs> yes. So, but, uh, for sure. Anyway, well, thank you guys so much. I think we'll probably keep doing these Saturdays around 12, but I'll, I'll post the time each week. Um, I know both of our schedules are a little bit different, so uh, we'll just try to do our best to keep somewhat consistent with these. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. 
I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.